0: You say some old dude, right? Yeah, he's a poet. So, uh, but he said, "It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. It's not what you face. It's the perspective that you have as it happens to you." And the Bible speaks very, very clearly. In these matters, Uh, we're just so I'm just on Aurora here. I'm just all stoked with this testimony. We just had someone here at Elevate um, blocked artery in her neck and uh, doctors were saying all these other things and trying to show her an image of what it was going to be. And she said she sees something different and uh, believe God for healing. And they just completely canceled the surgery. So we're super excited about that. And, you know, we see circumstances and circumstances can be very overwhelming, can't they? Oh, come on. When you see people and you see places and you see things, we get overwhelmed. God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. He wants us to overflow. And so our perspective affects the fact it will affect us, especially whether or not we're going to be overwhelmed or we're actually going to overflow. God wants our lives to overflow. He wants our lives to overflow with peace. He wants our lives to overflow with grace. He wants our lives to overflow with strength. He wants our lives to overflow with prosperity, with abundance, with all of these things. This is God's intent for us. This is what He desires for us. The world's been wrecked because of sin. So the place is a mess. People, places, and things are broken. Jesus is perfect. Jesus breaks into the impossible situation and reverses the effect. This is what He does, it's why He's Savior. What do we need saved from? We need saved from a lot of things. We need saved from ourselves, probably most of all. But one of the things we need saved from is people, places, and things, sinful systems, sinful structures, just a broken and fallen world. And the broken and fallen world is always messaging us. This world is always this culture and your circumstances. They're always sending you messages. And you have the opportunity to choose which message you're going to receive from that. It's going to show you something. The enemy wants to tell you a lie and then reinforce it with a reality. But reality is not truth, Christian. He'll tell you a lie and then he reinforces it with a reality. But it's not true. Reality is not true. Truth is truth. It's impo- what truth. Truth supersedes the possible. Truth makes the, po- makes the impossible possible. Faith overcomes the world. Faith in what? Faith in what is true. God's word is true. God's heart is true. The circumstances don't have the final word. The devil doesn't get the final word. I don't know if you know that one. Right? He doesn't get the final answer. Jesus is the final answer. You get to determine who you're going to partner with in this process. 2 Corinthians 4 says, We do not fix our eyes on what we see. You get that? Christian, we're not supposed to fix our eyes on what we see. This world, especially in this crazy time, is constantly messaging us. It's sending us all kinds of crazy messages and signals. Your emotions start sending you all kinds of crazy signals and messages. People start sending you all kinds of crazy messages and signals. All sorts of opinions flying around in the world today like never before. But the Bible tells us do not look at what is seen. If we look at what is temporary, we're going to be affected by it. We're to look at the things that are not seen. We're to not see the limitations of our world. We're to not see the negativity of our world. We're to see the potential, the hope, and the abundance that comes from His world. This is what God tells us to do. Say it with me. The things that are seen are subject to change. They're going to change. Come on, man. The weather's going to... We live in Miami. It's going to be dumping in the morning and sunny in the afternoon. So it's crazy, you know, I think that the temporary environment of the world that we live in is subject to change. But the things that are not subject to change is the things that are eternal. God's word is eternal. God's spirit is eternal. God's promises are eternal. God's truth is eternal. These are the things that are eternal. It's why he gives us promises and his promises are almost always contradictory to our circumstances, aren't they? God's promise almost always seems the opposite of what our circumstances tell us. And so God is telling us to pursue his promises. You have a choice. You have a choice to pursue his promises. The greatest story of that is probably in, when Joshua, when the children of Israel went in, God was bringing them out of their sin, he brought them to himself, exposed them to power, and now is going to bring them into promises. This is a story of how God works in the life of the believer Passover lamb brought them out of their sin. You receive Christ, you come out of your sin. You're born again, you become God's child, you belong to Him. His first desire for you is to draw you to Himself and do what? Expose you to power. It's the first thing He did with Israel, expose them to power. Book of Acts, what's the first thing He did with them? Wait in the upper room. Why? Until you're exposed to power. Born again believers, He said, don't do anything until you're exposed to power. Power matters. Kingdom matters. Way more. The- theology matters, but spirit matters more. Yep. Amen. It does. It's a difficult thing in a world in a in a church that's locked only in sola scriptura. I'm all in. I'm a word guy from start to finish. The Bible says the letter kills and the spirit gives life. If you go whipping the word around without the Holy Spirit, you're gonna cut somebody. You're gonna wound somebody. You become a legalistic, arrogant idiot. So what you, you know everything, but you can't care. Your, your heart is calloused, become full of knowledge, full of spiritual pride, full of religion. But the spirit is the, where the agape is. The spirit is where the discernment is. So it's not either or, it's both. But God wants to expose his people to power so that we know we have a living faith. What does power do for us? It testifies to us that what we are and who we are and what we follow is real. This isn't some uh, facade. We're not a, a com. We're not a religion. We're, we're a kingdom. And what we are and what we have is real. It's substance. You can handle it, the Bible says. You can touch it. You can see it manifest. The reality into this reality. The greater reality is His world. His greater reality into our world. The supernatural into the natural. That's what supernatural is. Supernatural. Supernatural. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It supersedes the natural. It overcomes the natural. It transforms the natural. That's what we are. If the church doesn't operate in supernatural power, we're like the Moose Lodge. We're the Kiwanis Club. We are. We feed the poor. Who cares? Oh, pastor, that's so insensitive. I say who cares because anybody can feed the poor. Anybody. Anybody can feed the poor. Camilla's house feeds the poor. City of Miami feeds the poor. Anybody can do that. But not everybody can lay hands on the sick and see him recover. Not everybody can prophesy and say, speak to this mountain. Not everybody can transform reality with prayer. But we can. That's who we are. That's why supernatural matters. The church has dumbed itself down. We become common when we're called to be exceptional. Ignorant. That's what we are. I didn't say we were dumb. I said we were ignorant. We're unknowing or we're cowardly. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. I made up my mind I will not be ignorant. And I made up my mind I will not be cowardly. You can call me anything you want to call me, but you will never call me coward. You can call me fool. You can call me crazy. You can call me whatever it is you perceive me to be. But you will not call me coward because that is not what I will ever do. Cowardice is not in my DNA. I made up my mind a long time ago. doesn't matter what I look like. I will not be called a coward. I will press into the things that God told me I could have. I will reach for what he told me was mine. And I will not settle for second. I will do whatever I have to do, change whatever I have to change, and go whatever lengths are required of me. I will do it, and I will not be fearful. I'm going to say, well, you may fail. Man, dude, you cannot fail as a believer. You bounce. all you do. What if you hit the ground? You bounce. You bounce. It's like like driving in a car with airbags. We get in a crash and we're like, woo. Wow, that was amazing. You know, we just bounce around. We think it's going to kill us, but it doesn't. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He overcomes the overcoming power of the believer. He takes impossible situations and turns them around. It may take him some time, but he turns it around. It took you 10 years to screw it up. And he fixes it in a year. And people go, Well, why did God take so long? Because you took 10 years to screw it up. <laughs> but he'll turn it around. He's the God of the impossible, he changes things. He, the, the, the spirit is unseen and it's eternal, it is unchanging. That's why we do not operate by natural law, Christian. We are to understand the spiritual laws. And when we understand the spiritual laws and apply them, something happens. A river, an overflowing river of life begins to move in our lives. Not because of natural law, but because of spiritual law. We understand his ways and we apply the principles that he established. We understand what it actually means. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. That's not a one-time occurrence. We apply the spirit of life in Christ Jesus every area of our life where there is sin and death. And we see it. Healing's her inheritance. That's the law of life in Christ Jesus that manifests itself against the law of sin and death. Sin and death testifies against her. The law of the spirit says, not now, not today. Any area of your life, that's what this means. It's, a one, it's not a one-time event. The church treats Romans 8:1 as if it's one time, and we don't need it anymore. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set me free from the law of the Spirit and death. Therefore I don't need that anymore. Yes, I know that, pastor. We've moved on. No, that is an ongoing, applicable principle and rule. and it will apply again and again. Your finances say death. Well, what does the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus say? Take the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, apply the spiritual laws as it relates to finances, and you will see sin and death of your finances overcome by the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The power of God. Power of God. Power of God. I don't know how people do it without power. I don't know how, how. It's impossible. It's impossible. This is why we end up religious. This is why Christians wax cold. This is why we have to do entertainment. Who needs entertainment? And you got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we see deaf ears open. That's better than a fish tank in the lobby, that's for sure. That's better than skinny jeans in a smoke machine. That's awesome. Awesome. In scale. In scale. Not just in scale, but in consistency. That's the issue. It's not a miracle here and a miracle there, it's consistent. 100% consistent. You'll see something tonight. If, we, if you come, you see injured people, people that have issues, brokenness, pain, issues, injuries in your body, you'll see it tonight. You'll see it tonight. Yeah. Had a guy in a wheelchair. Fifth, fifth, uh, fractured his spine from the fifth vertebrae down. He's sitting in his chair like this, bringing a prayer for him. there's another story. But we, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it. That's a regenerative process. That's a creative miracle I was talking with Jeremiah about it this week. And he's like, you should have pulled him out of the chair. I'm like, come on up, Mr. Man of Faith. Come on up. First of all, I didn't want to pull him out of the chair because he had swollenness in his back. That's number one. Secondly, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. and He didn't tell me to do it. So I did what he told me to do. And we prayed for him. And I felt like God was going to do some things. And he sat up in his chair and he couldn't sit up in his chair. He was sitting like this. He said, I have to look at everybody like this. He was bent over, completely bent over. You want to see glory? I'm about to tell you a story of who Jesus is, right? So we have a regenerative miracle. That's a miracle that requires a regeneration. I told him, I said, I want to reach the point where I have breakthrough. Where I can lay hands on people and their, their nerve endings begin to regenerate while I'm laying hands on them. That creative miracle manifests. You say, is it possible? 100% it's possible. I just can't move that rock yet but I can move a lot of other rocks. That one I've yet to move, but I would give me an opportunity and we'll, we'll start moving rocks like that. But he sat up, couldn't sit up. His girlfriend starts crying. She says, is she here? No, she's not here. I thought I saw her, I thought I saw her. But she, he was sitting over and he said, he has to look at everybody like this. And so we prayed for him. We go, we, we, everybody was praying for him. And he sat up. I kept telling him, do something you couldn't do, do something you couldn't do. And he's trying all these things. He's trying all these things. And then he, he pushed himself up and he sat up and his girlfriend went like that. And I said, could you do that? And he said, no. And I asked his girlfriend, and I said, could he do that? She said, no. And he said, that really bothered me. He said, I felt like hunched over and having to look at everybody. So watch this. What's the first thing Jesus does for his son? What's the first thing? He sits him up. What's the first thing Jesus does for his child? He sits him up. He restores dignity. He's sitting in a chair like this, hunched over the whole time. And Jesus sits him up. Sits him up. You say, he didn't get out of the chair. He sat up. Amen. Had medical doctors here that last, that last week. I asked him, I said, have you ever seen anything like that? I said, have you ever seen that? You know. said, you, have you ever seen somebody with a broken, whatever, T5, 7, whatever it is where he's broken, hunched over like that? And have you ever seen them sit up like that? She said, never. Never. He so tell me. You tell me. (laughs) What we see naturally is subject to change. I get excited, man. It's kingdom now, it's kingdom here. It's kingdom, let's go. It's kingdom, let's fire it up. Come on, believers. You should be excited. To be fired up. It's your inheritance. Had never had any. So what happens is, is when we live in a deficiency mindset, we never have enough. We never, we never feel like we are never going to be enough because we're always overwhelmed by our circumstances, by looking at the people, places and things. And it's because our perspective is wrong. Jesus' desire is that we be overflow and not overwhelm. Our perspective cannot be from our lack. Mm-hmm. Say it with me. Anytime, Anytime I start, start from the point of lack, I've lost Right. Anytime you look to yourself for faith, you've lost. Anytime you start from what you don't have, you've already lost. Our perspective, our starting point is it's not my faith. It's the faith of God in me. I look to him for faith in possibilities. And then I not only look to him in faith for possibilities, but I look to him in sufficiency. It's not what you don't have. It's who you do have. Right. Listen, I get it. It's a trap. Like I, I live in this world, too. I got stuff coming at me all the time overwhelming me. Oh, you think he got what it takes? Take that. You know, you think you can handle that? Take that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just can't keep up. You can't handle it. You're overwhelmed. But when you start looking at what you're overwhelmed by, then you start looking to the one who is sufficient. It's not what you don't have. It's who you do have. His name is El Shaddai. Anybody know what that means? Woo! Woo! Yeah. El, El Shaddai means sufficient. The God who is sufficient. It means he's sufficient. So you're insufficient, but he is what? All sufficient. And his name is your what? Anybody? Your inheritance. Your inheritance is in his name. He gives you all aspects of his name, including the name all sufficient. He gives you his all sufficiency. You can have it. But here's the deal. Here's the rub. A lot of times we're like, well, God's given us this. When you were like, well, where is it? Say it with me. Every single thing thing in in this kingdom is related to. Partnership. Yes. It's related to partnership and relationship. Nothing happens without partnership and relationship. Will I pray? Pray is partnership and relationship. Every single thing that happens in this kingdom requires partnership and relationship. So God says, I'm El Shaddai. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Your circumstances say it's not possible. I say it is. Everything around you says no way. Jesus says yes way. Jesus is the God of yes way. (laughs) He is the God of yes way. He has sufficiency for you, He has provision for you, He has abundant overflow for you. There's always another opportunity, Christian. The world says it's over. Jesus says, Who told you that? There's always another opportunity. There's always another door and there's always another chance. Do you know that? He will always provide for you again. He will always take care of your circumstances again. You miss the opportunity. He'll bring you another one. You may have to wait. You may have to turn the wheel, wait for the wheel of time to turn again, but he'll give you another opportunity. Amen. Amen. You broke it. You screwed it up. He'll fix it. He'll fix it. What happens when we when, when we miss that stuff? What it costs us is time. That's all it does. It costs us time. That's why we have to prepare ourselves for the opportunities as they're presented to, our, to themselves. You have to step through the doors that God opens to you as it relates to you. This is important. But there's always another opportunity. He's all sufficient. El should I? He is good. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. is all sufficient. all sufficient. Jesus is good. And Jesus is my inheritance He's your inheritance. You don't have to have lack. You don't have to have, you don't have to live beneath. Any area where you're not living beneath, where you're living beneath is not God's will. You are the head and not the tail. Anybody know the verse? Above what? Only. Only. Above only and not beneath. That's God's destiny for you. So any area of your life where you're beneath is not his will. If you're beneath your circumstances, that's not His will. Any area of your life where the circumstances are above you, that is not the Lord. There's a lot of reasons for that, but it's not Jesus. His will is not. His will is that you be above only. He is good, and He is your inheritance. His desire. you know what Jesus wants you to do? Who's like this? <laughs> Who gives you an inheritance that the more you spend it, the more it increases? Who does that? What trust fund is there that the more you give it, the more you use it, the greater it increases. But that is exactly what we have in him. Our inheritance increases through activation. Our inheritance increases by the more we use it. The more you call on El Shaddai, and the more you activate the sufficiency of God in your life, the greater the capacity for his sufficiency. It becomes more and more and more and more and more sufficient. The more you spend your inheritance, the more you relate to him as it relates to your inheritance, the greater the increase within your inheritance. So true. Jesus is your inheritance. The more you spend Jesus, the greater your capacity. Hi, anybody know what I'm talking about? This is real simple. This is a basic one that we can identify with. If we can identify one at all, we can identify with this. The more you receive Jesus and the more you give Jesus away, the more you pour out unto him, the more you use the inheritance of of his name, the greater your capacity happens. The joy of your salvation, everything begins to increase. It gets bigger and bigger. You ever notice that the deeper you worship, your worship keeps getting bigger? Uh, Anybody here worship? You worshipers? Right? You start, I mean, we're all supposed to be worshipers. But the more you worship, the the more the increase, the more the capacity happens. Jehovah Shema, His name is, his, is your inheritance, His presence. The more you activate his presence, the greater, this, the, greater the increase in his presence. And what God what, what person is there that gives you an inheritance that it increases by spending it? <laughs> Who does that? He wants you to spend your inheritance. There's always more. We worried about making mistakes. He's not. He's not worried about making a mistake. You are. Everybody around you is. You're worried about what people will think of you if you fail. You know what Jesus' question is? What did we learn? Did we learn anything? That's his only question. That's not his only question, but that's more than likely his first question. Unless I'm feeling sorry for myself. And then he's going to go, Kevin, get up. Number one, get up. I failed, Jesus. I'm pathetic loser. And he's going to go, A, get up. He sits you up. Number one, off the rip. And then he's going to ask you, what have we learned? Have we learned anything? Yeah, Lord, I learned a lot of things. What have you learned? Tell me what you learned. Okay, good. Here. Here's more. Go do it again. Go do it again. That's who he is. And if you don't think he's that way, you don't know him. He's completely that way. He's not judgmental. He isn't judgmental. You're you're already judged. You're judged righteous. Jesus isn't judging you. He's already judged you. If you're in Christ, you're judged as his child. You're judged as his son and daughter. Your circumstances have consequences due to what you're sowing. That's the law of sowing and reaping. But it has nothing to do with God's deeming anything upon your life. To you personally. To you individually. You're accepted. He's already judged you. And he says you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're accepted and beloved. That's who he is. So you don't know what my life looks like. I'm like, I don't know what your life looks like. But I know who he is. I know what he looks like. I know how he sees you when you start seeing yourself and understanding how he is and how he sees you, your life will change. When you start understanding you're accepted and beloved, you understand that you're a daughter of a king. And you have access to your father who loves you on your worst day and is always glad to see you. You say, I I feel condemned. That's an issue. That's a pain. That's a trauma. There's something there. There's a barrier within yourself. But that barrier does not exist from him. There are barriers to our intimacy with the Lord, but those barriers do not exist with him you are your greatest barrier. Fear of men, that's a barrier. Pain, trauma, wounds of the past, lies that we believe, not worthy, not accepted, doesn't love me, out to get me, all that stuff, that's internal stuff that's related to something else in your life, but it's not related to his perspective of you. He doesn't see you that way at all. Who told you that? He loves you. So our deal is to deal with our junk, cleanse ourselves, of all issues of the flesh. That's not external. That's internal too. Cleanse ourselves of the things that matter to us. the, 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 the issue. In the, anything that's a barrier in your life, Jesus wants it gone. He wants it gone. He wants no barriers to intimacy. None. None. He works. He's actively working to remove everything out of your life. If, he, if you'll let him. Yeah. If you'll let him. A lot of the stuff's Internal. Bible says this, Psalm 23, my cup overflows. It's God's intent for you that your cup, your life, everything around you, everything you hold, everything you are, overflows. The year of the abundant overflow. It's going to happen. What God is calling us to. Abundant overflow. John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast. This is interesting. I'll just tell you, the feast was a feast called Sukkoth. It's the feast of booths. It's the last feast in the Jewish calendar. They had seven feasts. You don't think Jesus likes to party? I mean, you imagine? They had seven feasts. It was like a nonstop party. Like every other week, every other month, it was a party of epic scale. There was only one that was a lament. So out of six feasts, six Hebrew feasts, six Levitical feasts, there was two added. Jews added two. So there's, you know, technically, biblically, there's seven Right. Technically, there's nine. But biblically, there's seven out of seven biblical or Levitical feasts. Or they're not even they're not even the feasts of the Jews. They're the feasts of the Lord. He never says they're your feasts. He says they're my feasts. They belong to me. They're sacred convocations. They belong to me. And they tell us something about him and who his nature is. And one of them is Feast of Sukkoth. And it was to remind them of how God provided for them in the wilderness and so they will, they'll build booths. And so at this feast, they also draw water and pour water on the altar. And so what hap- what's happening here is that they're in Solomon's temple. And they're in Herod's temple. And so they're in Herod's temple. And, every, and so Moses started off with an altar. So one of the things you would come to as you came into the, the, the tabernacle, which was the tent where God would meet his people, is there would be an altar in the front. And they would, the people would come and present their sacrifices. Then they would move to a, 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 a pool of water, which was sanctification. Then there was different stages within the temple. There was the shoe bread, there was the anointing, the, the, the candlestick, there was the uh, altar of incense, and then there was the holy of holies. It's a progression into God's presence. We don't have any such thing. We have sanctification, that's about it, but the rest of it's straight to, we can go right into the presence. There's no veil. We have access. The question is, is do you want it? That's another story. But Moses built this little tiny altar, right? He built this altar. Solomon, when he built the the temple, he he went big time. Solomon like blew it up. It was like this big monster altar. And so um, uh, Herod built the same thing. And there were 15 steps ascending the altar. There were 15 psalms that they would sing. The psalms of ascent. So when the people of Israel would come into it, um, every time the nation would come up for these feasts, the priests or the Levites would sing these particular psalms. Psalm 120 to 134, the psalms of ascent. And so there was 15 steps because there were 15 psalms. The priests had to go and cut down willow branches at this feast. The willow branches had to be 25 feet long. They're holding a willow branch 25 feet long. Right? Five times five. Five is prophetic for grace. Grace times infinity. Grace times grace times grace times grace. And they would hold it up like a canopy. So they would take 25 foot willow branches, and the priests would stand in rows, and they would hold it up like a canopy. What's that thing they get married under? She was get married under? Hook? Hook. Hoppa. hoppa. I kept wanting to say hookah, but that's not it. That's not no, no. <laughs> not the hookah, the hoppa, right? So they would hold it up, and they would pre- prevent a canopy, and the priests would draw water from the pool of Siloam. And, they would, and the priests would come to the altar, and as he's walking up the altar, they, they would walk up, to he would, and he would pour water down the steps, and he would pour water on the altar. And the people would say, freely, Isaiah 12, freely we drink from the wells of salvation. The priest would do a procession around the altar. For, this would happen for seven days. They would proceed around the altar with willow branches. See, uh, what is it? Uh, Pentecost was palm fronds palm fronds, they would come to the temple pushing palm fronds. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh on the day of Pentecost. Anybody know what happened on the day of Pentecost? Rushing wind. What was God prophetically telling them? That's what I'm going to do. And so they would walk around the temple. On Sukkot, they would walk around the altar. Sit for One time on the last day, they would walk around seven times and the people would do a shout called the Hazanah Rabbah. And it means the, the high praise. And they would shout seven times, Lord, save now! Lord, save now! Lord, save now! Because it represented the waters of salvation being poured upon the altar. And Jesus, <laughs> rock star Jesus, stands on the altar and stands on the steps in front of the people. And he says, on the last day, which is the seven-time procession, and the Hosanna Rabbah was being shouted, Right. Lord, save now. Lord, save now. And Jesus is like, somebody call my name. Right. Probably had some Ray-Ban aviators on standing up there. Let's go. Let's go. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. Everyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water overflowing out of their life. The God of the abundant overflow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And you know what happened immediately after that? The priests all looked at each other and said, we got to kill this guy. They wanted to kill him. It was one of the reasons they wanted to kill him, but that was definitely one of them. Because he's proclaiming himself to be Messiah. And they couldn't refute it. That's right. They're quoting Isaiah 12, the wells of salvation, the waters of salvation. They're going to the altar of sacrifice, pouring out the waters of salvation. 15 steps, halals, the marriage feast, the covering of grace. And Jesus stands in the midst of it. And said, if you want it, I've got it. If you want what's poured out there, I have it. But this isn't just a one-time thing. The presence of God in our life is to create an abundant overflow into every area of our life. It's by the Holy Spirit, Christian. Religion can't do it. Spiritual disciplines isn't going to get it done. Good God. The church is fixated on spiritual disciplines. I'm all in. I love spiritual disciplines. But discipline is the lowest level of discipleship. The lowest level. If you can't do anything else, discipline yourself. But relationship is the higher level. Relationship. But that doesn't get. We have to have, relate to God. Everything comes from the Holy Spirit. The abundant overflow and outflow of, of God's presence and power in our life comes through the Spirit of God. The overflow. Jesus is the source of the believer's life. He is your source. He is your source. He is the. He's given you His Spirit. His manifest presence and out of that presence that God has placed within you it will be a river. We're not to be thirsty, we're to be full. We're not to be overwhelmed, we're to overflow. So if there's an issue in your life where there's an overwhelming, it's a direct relationship to a lack of communion in and with the Spirit of God. Or there's something that you're believing that's not God's truth. You're experiencing things, I understand that. There's a difference. Say it with me. Come on. You're going to help. I need to help some of you. There's a difference between experiencing something and partnering with it. We can experience fear and not partner with it. Do you know what I'm saying? You're going to experience it because you're human, right? You're going to experience freaking out, but that doesn't mean you make an agreement with it. That's the difference. You're going to experience all of these negative voices telling you negative things, but that doesn't mean you make an agreement with it, right? <laughs> You're going down. Oh no, I am. I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm going down now. Yeah, I feel like I'm going down. Doesn't look good. but the Lord said I'm going to overcome. The Lord is going to make a way where there is no way. He's going to make a way through this wilderness. He's going to give me a river in this desert. He's going to send me and bear me up on eagle's wings. He is my deliverer. It doesn't look good. That I I understand. Let's put that over here. But however, my faith says, my faith says, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to elevate our faith beyond the level of our experience. Our faith cannot solely be based upon our experience. We have to put faith until faith manifests the experience. And then, you'll, then your faith will only increase. He's the source. We're not to be thirsty, we're to be full. We're not to be overwhelmed, we're to overflow. The exceeding capacity of Jesus' endless supply of goodness. That's overflowing. Doesn't that sound good? What does it mean to overflow? Just say it with me. If, this is, if you can't smile at this, I don't, know, I don't know. You need to put a mirror under your nose to see if you're still alive. See if the fogs. Say it with me. Overflow is the exceeding capacity of Jesus' endless supply of goodness. That's the river. He didn't give it to you abstract, right? Come on. In the Old Testament, yes, yes. He didn't give it to you abstract. In the Old Testament, it was out there in the sweet by and by. In the New Testament, he gives it to us alive and real in the rotten here and now. We have the Holy Spirit in presence. We have the over the capacity to experience and live by God's endless supply of goodness. What's the key? The key is integration. Integration. You have to integrate your life. You can't keep Jesus six feet away or ten feet away and expect there to be an overflow. You can't. You're not called. It's like we treat Jesus like he's an insurance policy or he's like our big buddy that we like to hang out with from time to time. He's everything. (laughs) He is everything. He's not something. He is everything. We put him over here, like, oh, you know, oh yeah, oh, and when I need him, I run. It's like he's my concierge. Ding, 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 ding. Lord, I need a thousand dollars so I can go out on my boat and party with my friends. Ding, 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 ding. That's how we treat him. Like he's our bellhop, like he's our concierge, like he's our insurance policy. I can go and do whatever I want, but if I die, hey, I'm going to heaven. You know? We treat him like he's our buddy. We treat him as common. Jesus can be, can and will be your friend, but the first thing he is, is he is Lord. That's the number one thing he is. And then he's the reconciler to the Father. <clears throat> Isaiah 48 says, this is what the Lord says. Say, this is what the Lord says. Who has saved me? He said, I am the Lord, your God, and I will teach you what is right. I will teach you what is good. I am the Lord, your God. I will lead you in the way that you should go. Key to that would be listening. If you obey me, you will have peace flowing like a river. So what's the promise? The promise is what? Peace flowing like a river. What's the condition? Obedience. If you'll obey me and listen to what I'm telling you, not just logo not just logos not just biblically but if you'll listen not just to my biblical instructions but you'll listen to my relational instructions that I want to give you peace will flow like a river the promise is peace like a river the condition is obedience if you listen to me good things will flow out of your life like waves of the sea waves of the sea crashing waves right overwhelming, crashing waves. God wants our lives to have overflow. Jesus is the center of everything. As a believer, as a Christian, he is to be the center of your thoughts, your decisions, your lifestyle. Everything you do is to be filtered in and through him. And if you're not ready for that, then you're not a disciple. You're not ready. You're not a disciple. They that would come after me would deny themselves, take up their cross and follow. You can't do it. So let's just be clear. I've tried. I've tried to follow Jesus. Haven't we all? We've all tried. It's not in the trying, it's in the partnership. It's not in the trying, it's in the relationship. Say it with me, this is going to, so all of my religious friends out there, please, if you're, if you're, this, this offends you, if you have cinnamon rolls in your refrigerator, go have a cinnamon roll, <laughs> have a Cinnabon. Say it with me, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. Our walk with the Lord is not about perfection, it's about direction continually walking with him and going in the direction. You fall down, okay, get up, go again. You get lost, call on him, let him find you, go again, right? He doesn't reject you. He's not casting you away. You can't do it. If you could do it, you wouldn't wouldn't need a savior. If you could do it, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We fail at the point of communion with the Holy Spirit. We do. That's where we fail. We try to do this in our own strength. Galatians 1, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, do you now think you can fulfill this in the flesh? That was the problem with the Galatian church. They're a spirit-filled church, full of the glory, following the Holy Spirit. And then they figured they could do it with spiritual disciplines. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We're going to start practicing spiritual disciplines. And Paul said, who twisted that to you? Who told you that? Who lied to you on that? Who deceived you on that? You can't do it in the flesh. If we could do it, he wouldn't have to give us the Holy Spirit. He loves you. He's with you. Jesus is at the center of everything. Acts 17, 28. Ready? In him, we live. In him, we move. In him, we have our existence. He is our being. He is our everything. Colossians says, before him are all things and in him, all things consist. This is who he is. The eternal preeminent one. He is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? That in Him, He may, in all things He may have the preeminence. He has first place in everything. This is what God is calling us to have, and where God is pl- telling us to place Him is Jesus is in front of everything. It's like what we do is we put ourselves out there, and then we come to Jesus when we need Him. Then we put ourselves out there. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Then we come to Jesus when we need Him, and we wonder why there's no abundant overflow. We wonder why that river doesn't flow in our lives consistently. Look, I'm a pastor. I don't bat a thousand. I'm not telling you I'm just floating around in a glory bubble of God's presence and God's experience. I'm not. I'm about 80-20. That's about me. Maybe 70-30 if I'm humble. But 70-80-20. Right? And I never used to be that way. It used to be 30 with Jesus, 70 with me. Yeah? And then I started to follow him. And if you're moving the meter, where, if you're moving your life where it's less of you and more of him then you're moving in the right direction. It doesn't matter where you are on the scale. The goal is to move towards those things, to move towards more of him and less of you. And that's how this river begins to flow in your life. This power begins to flow in your life. Problems come when we do it without him. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. And in the Amplified says until it overflows. I've come to give you life until it overflows. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. So what are the habits? Let's talk about some habits here, right? So I'm going to give you four easy habits. Four easy habits. The first one, there's three, but it, it, it's, it's one habit. Say it with me. Connect, commune, and abide. And abide. You have to give Jesus more than two minutes of your day. It's true. Turn off Dr. Phil and put on some worship music. I don't feel like it. Nobody does. Do it anyway. A toaster is useless unless it's plugged into power. A toaster is created for a purpose, right? But a toaster means nothing unless it's plugged into power. We have to plug into the Lord. So what does it look like? Connect. So I'm going to break it down. Connect, communion, abide. Real simple. Connect means worship. So if you wanted a daily exercise, let's just go for three days a week. Let's target three days a week. And you have one by default. You get Sunday. If you come, if you're a consistent attender, Sunday's already there. So you just, but let's target three days, three to four days a week towards a consistent habit of what? Worship. What does that mean? Practice the presence. Yes. Let the word, begin to worship God. Begin to listen to some worship music. Begin to let the presence come upon you. Listen to his power. Listen to his worship. Read or listen to the word. Get the word in you. You don't have to understand it, but just begin to read the New Testament, start there, and and, or listen to it. And again, you don't have to understand it. The error is is you dismiss it because you don't understand it. That's the problem. Christians dismiss the scripture because they don't understand it. God never gave it to you for you to understand in first pass. He says you will not understand unless you're taught it. That's how He's created it. It's gold, concealed. It has to be revealed. Right? So, the scripture has to be taught in order for it to be fully understood. It's true. That's how he did it. Jesus had to teach them because they didn't fully understand. They had the Old Testament for centuries and they didn't understand it. And Jesus had to reveal the gold within the word because they didn't get it. It's the same thing. Read the word of God, put it in you. Read or listen to the word. So, that's connect. Connect is worshiping and getting the word in you. 10, 15 minutes. You can listen to two worship songs. It, you know, on your way to work, right? Put, make yourself a playlist and just d- do it. P- uh, listen, to, listen to scripture on your way to work. Read the Bible, read a chapter, put it in you. That's connect. Follow a, prene- a connecting practice. This is how abundant overflow is going to come out of your life is through these things. Communing, which is a meditative heart that listens. Communing can be prayer. Okay, so it's connecting. We're connecting. We're plugging into the power. We're drawing and we're activating worship. We're putting the words in us. So we're making the connection. We're communing. We're listening. Communal prayer is amazing. Communal prayer is is having a heart that listens. You can ask. You can seek. You can knock. But I encourage. But I love to listen. I love to listen. I sit out on my porch. I have a pad of paper and he talks to me. And when he talks to me, the pen starts flying. He starts telling me. And I sit there and I listen to him talk to me until he's done talking to me. That's me. He's not going to take all day. But do you ever thought about it, that Jesus wants to talk to you? And you start to meditate, you start to get to a quiet place or a quiet space and let Jesus talk to us. We, most of us don't have any more than a couple of minutes of silence a day. We fill and consume our lives with noise and distraction. And we wonder, God wants to talk to us. He wants to show you great and mighty things you don't know comes through the communion, comes through the communal aspects. It's crazy. And then abide. What does abide mean? Is anybody here good at worrying? Anybody here good? I'm not. I'm in church. I'm not admitting that, pastor. No way, even though I am. If you're good at worrying, you're going to be a professional at abiding. It's true. If you pivot worry into abide, you're going to see that it's going to change. What does it mean when you abide? This word abide is where you're meditating and you're not you're taking the worship. You're taking the the word that you had. You're taking the things that God has spoken to you and abiding is you're meditating on it. You're living in it. right. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll produce fruit. You can do nothing without me. But if you and me and my word is in you, you'll ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Say connected to my love, and this is how the joy overflows. I don't have time to break this whole thing down because I want to I spend a moment on abide. John 15, 7 through 11, you can read it later. But Jesus is saying, Abide, live in me. So we connect, right? We commune, and we abide. Abide means meditate upon the verse. Meditate upon a verse or meditate upon a song, right? And there's a verse in this song. I listen to this song, probably I've been listening to this song for four years. And some of you would say, You're so dated. There's a verse in that song that stands out to me, and I always listen to it. And it's a real simple part. And it just says, because I know that he loves me. And the way the guy says it in that song just really impacts me. Really impacts me. We still sitting up? You still sitting up? Yeah? Right there. So, could you do that before? Yeah? amen. Right, man. You know, what I, you know when I went home and I meditated I'm, and I was asking the Lord about you and I was trying to get some insight into like praying for you and everything like that and I felt like he was pointing to the fact that he set you up and he showed me. He said, what's the first thing I did for my son? It's the first thing. He set you up. He restored dignity to you. He put you up. So you're not staring at your knees and you're not having to look at everybody like that. He sits you up. You're his son. He's going to sit you up. Isn't it crazy? It's the first thing he does for you is he sits you up. And if he did that, that's what I told you, it's breakthrough. If he did that, how much more will he do? It's a regenerative miracle, man, and we're believing God for it. We're going to believe God for it. So I thank you for honoring us with the opportunity to pray for you and to see God do a great work because I believe he's going to 100%. Amen. Amen. So we abide, we meditate. So what does it look like to meditate in the verse? Okay, let's just take a simple verse. I'm going to help you guys, right? I'm going to help you. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We know that verse, right? So let's say you're having a problem. You start meditating upon that verse. Some of you are like, I've never heard that verse in my life, you know. <laughs> I had one guy and I was quote, I'm like, you guys all know this. And the guy goes, oh, yes, of course, Kevin, I know that verse. But he didn't. He was just mocking me or like making fun of me. My God will supply all my needs. You're in a, you're in a situation and you meditate upon this verse. My God. My God, you start meditating upon that. My God will supply all of my needs. My God, he's my God. He's not my neighbor's God. He's my God. He's called me to himself. You start meditating upon this stuff and it starts opening to you. He shall supply. Doesn't say he might supply. My God is going to supply. And this word becomes alive in you. This word becomes real in you. Because you're abiding in it. You're not just hearing it, connecting to it and communing. You're going into an abiding mode and the word becomes alive in you and it begins to connect to you. My God shall supply all of my needs, all of my needs, all of my needs. I know what my needs are saying, but my God is going to supply all of my needs and then you meditate on that according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is rich in his glory. Glory is goodness. He is rich in goodness through Christ. God's goodness to me is rich and full because of Jesus. And you start ministering to yourself, you start waking yourself up. You start connecting yourself deeper and deeper into these areas where God has something for you. This is the deal. Deuteronomy 8:18, 8, your oh, God has given you wealth. The ability to obtain wealth that you may establish this covenant in the land. You're like, my God's giving me wealth. And if you meditate on that long enough, the question's gonna come to you: what is my ability? Where is my ability to attain wealth? You start meditating on this thing, and what happens? The word begins to open to you, and greater questions begin to evolve or emerge. And your desire, and God's desire is that you push into the greater question. That's what it means to abide in his word. You're living in his word. You're meditating in his word. Some of you, you ruminate about your problems for 12 hours. What if you gave Jesus one hour and ruminated on a promise? Find a promise. Begin to ruminate on that promise. God is going to come through. God is going to come through. We worry about our our problems, but our problems are just... We put more faith in our problems. This is what's going to happen. We have faith in our problems, but we don't have faith in his promises. Just a thought. So, number one, you want want some, some habits for an abundant overflow... Abide, commune, and connect. Connect, commune, and abide. Second one is be grateful. Amen. Amen. Be grateful. Say it with me. Speak nothing contrary to his promises. Speak in line with what God said. Speak it. Say, I don't know what God said. That's question. first question. We give you a book of God's promises. Begin to take those promises. Begin to speak those promises. Turn those promises towards your circumstance. It's psychologically proven that the healthiest emotion is gratitude. This is a fact. Seven habits that gratitude, or seven things that increase because of gratitude. Your relationships are going to increase. Your relationships get healthier because you're grateful. Okay? Try that in your marriage. I'm so grateful for you. I so honor you. I want to bless you. I want to, you know, watch what gratitude does. It's like marriage, we like look at each other. Like, are you for real? Are you really meaning that, or are you just saying that? But then when you make it a habit, it becomes there. So relationships increase. Your physical health gets better. True. Your mental health gets better. Here's a good one. Ready? Reduces anger. Gratitude reduces anger. It increases your focus because you're not worried about everything. You see what you have and you're able to focus. Most of the times we're not able to focus is because we're concerned about all this other stuff. And we're not grateful for what we have. It's one point. increases personal value and worth. And you sleep better. Releases the happy hormones. <laughs> Serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine. Dopamine. <laughs> oxytocin is an interesting one. Oxytocin is released. Ready? Sex between a married couple. Let's just say that. Sex between a man and a woman when they have sex together, oxytocin is released. Oxytocin is a bonding hormone. It's what creates the bond. Right? Two become one creates the bond. God actually empowers it with a hormone. Is that crazy? Oxytocin is also the hormone that's released when a mother breastfeeds her child. Anybody here ever done, any ladies here that, I mean, I haven't. I personally tried to breastfeed, but I just realized I just wasn't designed for it. But anybody here breastfed their child? And you feel bonded, right? There's, there's, some, there's some connection that mothers feel through that process. And there's a, yes, there's a hormone that's released, oxytocin. It's the same hormone that's released when you're petting an animal. Anybody like, you start petting your animal and you start feeling better? And you feel bonded? Oh, you're so cute. You're so cute. Nobody loves you, but I love you. You know, oxytocin is being released. So oxytocin is released in those ways. And, it, and that's the same hormone. Is, that same hormone is released through um, gratitude. It's God's will. First Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will. What's God's will? Well, here's one of the areas where it tells us exactly what God's will is. God's will is that you be grateful for everything. Be grateful. Find something to be grateful for. Man, we got Jesus. We always have something to be grateful for. I may not be able to be grateful for much, but Lord, I thank you. I have you and you have me. I am grateful. I am grateful. Isn't that awesome? Third, the third habit is stop comparing. Find your purpose and pursue it. Comparison when you're when you're looking at everybody else it only slows you down. When you're looking at everybody else, you're not able to produce what God has created you to produce. Say, what do I do? I get jealous. We all get jealous. We all get jealous. I'll do a teaching on jealousy. There's something about jealousy, man. There's power in jealousy. Jealousy's not entirely negative. We all get jealous. What do what do I do when I feel jealous? Celebrate the success of others, even if you don't agree. Just celebrate. I have a habit. I'm like, I'm happy for you. I bless you. Good for you. That's awesome. That's amazing. I bless you. Right? Honor others. Bless them. Somebody else is doing better than you. You can rest assured someone's always going to do better than you. And you can rest assured somebody's always going to have it worse than you. (laughs) Yeah, so it doesn't matter. It, no matter where you are in the spectrum. And so what the, the goal is is to stop comparing and just start pursuing the purpose in the place which you find yourself in. A heart at peace gives rest to the body, but jealousy and envy rots the bones. Ouch, right? A heart that's content. Contentment means, doesn't mean you have everything you want, but it means I'm at rest knowing that I'm going in the right direction or that things are getting better or it's gonna keep getting better. It's better to be content with what you have than to be always striving selfishly for more. That's like chasing the wind. It's not an issue to strive. It's an issue to strive selfishly. Our, our delay, why are we striving? Are we striving for greater p- things and greater purposes for God's honor and for the, the purpose of God in our life? If we're striving for that, that's fine. But striving selfishly so that you can have this or that or whatever, whatever it is that you need or want, you're striving only through the point of yourself that Bible says that's like chasing the wind, even when you get it. Say, I'm striving for that brand new iPhone. Well, wait six months and there'll be another iPhone. It's like chasing the wind. They just keep changing the model. And you're, if you're always trying to stay ahead on stuff like that, you're always going to live behind. Lastly, live generously. Live generously. Generosity begins with Jesus, Christian. God's got a financial plan. If you want an overflow, God has created a plan For the overflow financially. It's called the tithe. Yeah, not going to spend a lot of time on it because we do talk about it here. But truth be known, only 18% of Christians fully tithe. That's absolutely an insane statistic. I guarantee you if they were to evaluate it like forensically, they would find that probably only more like 13 to 15% of believers give the full tithe. And we wonder why we struggle financially. We wonder, I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to. It's God's financial plan for you. He doesn't need it, but you do. You do. Bring the tithe to my storehouse. There's there be food in my house. This is how he's created the, the idea to provide for his church. Test me now in this, says the Lord. He says, prove it. You want to see if I'm not going to do what I'm going to do? See if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings until it begins to overflow. You, there it again. The association with an overflowing breathing is, is blessing is directly related to that. God gave another law. So we talk about spiritual laws. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, he gave the law of seed, time, and harvest. And in the law of seed, time, and harvest, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. So not only in the tithing are we commanded to give God based upon the law of the spirit of generosity. That's how God opens the heaven. And when God says, it's interesting in this verse, when God says you're cursed with a curse, in other words, the enemy has a right of accusing over you. The enemy has a right of denial over you. The enemy has a right of resistance over you because you refuse to tithe. He claims a right against you. God isn't claiming anything against you, but the devil will. The devil will. So when you, are, and when you know what God wants you to do and you're deliberate against it, the enemy will claim that against you. And he'll claim a right of resistance. And he'll claim a right of denial. It's true. That's what he tells them. Seed time and harvest, as long as the earth remains, God creates seed time and harvest. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 9. It says, a stingy, a stingy planter will only reap a small crop. But anyone who sows generously will reap generously. Therefore, each one of you should consider in what manner you, do, you are to give to God. You should not give reluctantly and you should not give under pressure. The highest calling of giving is under honor. We do it because we honor him. We do it because it's right before him. We do it because he's worthy of it. He asks for it. It's his. No questions asked. For God loves a cheerful giver. And you can be sure that God is able to bless you. You can be certain that God will give you all grace, spiritual power, moving in love in all things. He will provide for you in every way in all times. And you will have everything that you need. And you will also overflow. There again is the overflow directly attached (laughs) To financial giving. You will also overflow and you will be abundant and tor- towards every good work. It's related towards every good work. And so, God's design and desire of our life is not that we would be overwhelmed, His design and desire of our life is that we would be overflowing. But we have to work with the process. This is so key to this. This is the, the, the communion and the leadership and the following of God into the ways that He has called us to go is, 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 is extremely important. We have to partner with it. If we don't want to partner with it and our hearts are hard, our hearts are hard and we don't want to commune and connect, then we don't have any power in our life as far as relationally or understanding. We have to look no further than our own efforts. We have to make the effort. We have to make the connection. You're here this morning, you're being blessed. Is it? Listen, I just want to tell you, you come to church, it's a sacrifice a lot of times, right? Isn't it? Someone's like, no, I'm always joyful. Well, I'm always joyful, too, but sometimes it's a sacrifice. I got to peel myself out of bed. I got to come. But you come, why? Because A, well, I'd say the highest level is because it honors the Lord. Every single thing is about honor. Honor him and you will access him. If you do not honor him, you will not access him. Not because he keeps himself from you, but because there's something about our own hearts that when we honor, we are able to access things from our own hearts. God keeps nothing from you. You're your biggest enemy. It's the truth. You're your that's why it's like, man, just do what he says. If I don't know anything else to do, I need to do what he says. Because I know I don't have any good ideas, and I know that what I produce isn't necessarily the best way. So it's like do what he says. So be generous with your time, honor, worship, help other people. So it's not just generous with money. It's generous with your time, helping other people, connecting with other people. And so here it is. Connect and commune. Say with me. Connect. Connect. Commune. commune. Abide. 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 Be, intentionally grateful. be intentionally grateful. Focus on my calling. On my and don't pay attention don't to others. Even if they're doing better than me. Right. Hello. Live generously. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. It's easy to pay. it's easy to do that one, man. Facebook, right? Everybody's staging their life on Facebook. It's total stage, right? I have a better dinner than you, ha ha ha. You know, I mean people taking pictures of their food, their cars, you know, everything. It's like, I'm better than you, or na 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 na. You know, it's just kinda like that. I'm on a boat, what are you doing? I'm doing laundry. <laughs> My life sticks, you know? It's like anyway. God loves you, his to say it with me, his desire. Is abundant overflow. My desire is to participate and receive and let the river of God's abundant overflow flow in my life. In Jesus' name. If you're watching and you don't know Jesus, His desire is that you know Him. That's His first and foremost thing. He has so much for you. He wants nothing from you and wants everything for you. But you have to come into relationship with Him. Bible says we have a sin problem. Every person has one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Sin has separated us from our created purpose. Sin has separated us from our Creator. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to give His life away, to become as us, to pay the price for us, as us, in order that we could come back to Him. And the way that we come back to Him is we come back to Him through Him. Bible says that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation. It's a lostness in an eternal state without Jesus. But the gift of God is life eternal. He wants to offer you life. He wants to give you life in the now. And he wants to give you life eternal. He wants to restore you back to a right relationship. You say, this, sounds like a, this offer sounds too good to, to be true. This is, it's not just too good to be true. It's so good it is true. And this is the offer you don't say no to. Jesus is offering himself to you. And the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you will confess in your mouth that he, with your mouth that he is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. He will draw you out of darkness, place you in delight. The Bible says that he will come inside of you and live in you. And he will begin to live through you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open the door of your heart to me, I will come in and I will commune with you. I will be as one with you. You know, it's as simple as a prayer. It's a life-changing, eternal-changing 40-second prayer. And we're going to pray together here at Elevate as a family, and we want you to pray with us. Anybody here who's never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. Anybody here who's not sure you've ever given your life to Jesus, today's your day. Anyone watching this by live stream and you don't know if you know Jesus, today's your day. We're going to be sure. We're going to be sure. Let's pray. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did that, we celebrate you. We honor you. We bless you in every way.